0: Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I'm Michael Kingswood, and I write science fiction and fantasy. I used to be in the Navy, spent 20 years doing submarine operations, among other cool things. Learned to fly planes, learned to scuba dive, had a bunch of kids, saw the world, and I started writing fiction. In this podcast, I'm going to be sharing my stories with you in the hope that you'll have fun, and also that you'll like my stuff and come back for more. And maybe help brother out with buying a book or two. So uh, sit back, relax, and I'm gonna tell you a story. Hey friends, it's Michael Kingswood and it's story time. And um, I'm back two weeks in a row. It's like a miracle or something. <laughs> anyway, I don't know about you guys, but it's been a pretty good week here around the Kingswood Abode. Got some, uh, got started plugging away on Glimmervale 6 finally. Yay. Got some uh, Glimmervale short stories released to the world that I had ready to go for a while while back, but uh, hadn't gotten around to, just got distracted. Um, five of them, in fact, There had previously been just the one Glimmervale short story that I put out um, wedding gifts, but there's four more that I wrote a while ago, and I put them out individually and in a collection. You can get them from the site, and I'll show you the links uh, there, and of course, you can find them at Amazon and other places too, but... My side's always better. Uh, so that's cool. And, you know, sort of getting back in the swing of this routine as well. As well as just watching current events and, you know, making plans for this year. It's uh, it's going to be good. Lots of good stuff going on. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to it. But that's not what you're looking forward to. You're looking to look forward to the next chapter from Outdweller. And I'm here to deliver. Or rather, Kevin Sapp is, because he's the guy who uh, we hired to read it, because he reads things pretty well, as I'm sure you saw from last week. Uh, So we'll just get right to it. Uh, More on the flip side after these two chapters are done. But until then, uh, sit back, relax, enjoy. Talk to you in a minute.
1: SSN Storytelling presents Outdweller, Glimmervale Chronicles number 2, by Michael Kingswood. Narrated by Kevin Sapp. 3. Commute The walk from the Orlock to his and Raytrick's small constabulary seemed to drag, though it was only a few blocks. Julian strongly suspected he would find Ilsa there, slinging accusations of her husband's infidelity, and he really did not want to deal with that. This was what passed for excitement these days, and for a moment, Julian almost found himself wishing for some nice, honest brigands to fight off. He shoved that thought away a half-remembered twinge of pain from his left thigh almost causing him to limp for a pace or two. They had been damn lucky beating Eisenhofs group of bandits. The fight could have easily gone the other way. And even though the town emerged victorious, several good men had paid with their lives, and many people's livelihoods had been harmed. Some were only now beginning to recover from the episode months later. So no, the drudgery of playing wedding savior was much preferable to the alternative. Julian emerged onto Main Street and smirked as his boots went from kicking up dust to clumping along on the well-laid flagstones of Lyttelton's only paved street. Why they had not bothered with the other streets was beyond him, and Radric had never been able to properly explain it. Nor had anyone else in town, for that matter. He turned right and strolled another block, nodding to a pair of men who were just starting up the day's business as they opened their leatherworking shop. A moment later he paused as a gaggle of children burst out from another building. The group was ushered along by a pair of nearly identical older ladies, their gray hair done up in matching buns, and their dresses matched to complement each other's colors. That was on purpose, Julian was certain. The group of youngsters giggled their way past him, and the lady in the rear nodded her head politely to him. Constable? Julian grinned and made a little bow. Good morning, Beverly, he said brightly, earning a flash of a smile from her before she swept past. Julian watched the procession maneuver down the street, then turned left toward the docks. Must be a lesson about the lake or how boats work. Damn shame, that, a gruff voice said. Julian turned toward the speaker, a short but powerfully built man in his early middle years. Gray flecked the black hair on his head, and he had a puckered scar over his left eyebrow. He wore a simple white shirt and brown pants, and carried a heavy leather apron slung over one shoulder that smelled of wood smoke and metal. A blacksmith, evidently. Julian did not know him. "'What is?' The smith nodded toward Beverly, just before she disappeared around the corner. "'Keep forgetting you're new around here. Them two were the loveliest lasses in town once,' he grunted. "'Never married, though. Said they never wanted to. Just lived together and taught the kids, nothing more.' Julian frowned. "'Nothing wrong with teaching.' The smith snorted, casting a baleful look Julian's way. "'Course not. That's not the shame of it.' He turned away, shaking his head, and stopped off down the street, continuing back on his way to work. Julian watched him go. The man paused at the cross street the ladies and children turned down. Julian could have sworn he looked down the street with longing in his eyes for a moment, before moving on himself. Julian stopped in front of his destination and paused, contemplating whether he really wanted to go in or not. The building he shared with Radric was small, one story tall and constructed of pale-stained wood. A pair of hitching posts flanked the stairs leading up to the front porch, which ran the length of the building. The hitching posts were empty, hardly unusual, considering how few of the townsfolk rode horses as part of their daily routine. Overall, the building had an official look to it that went beyond the simple sign reading Constable above the front door. Maybe it was the iron bars over the windows. Might as well get to it. With a small sigh, Julian strode up the stairs and stepped inside. The front room stretched the length of the building. A pair of desks faced each other on either side of the room. His on the left, Radrick's on the right. A shelf with a number of books, city ordinances, the laws of the kingdom, local histories, that sort of thing, stood against the far wall, near the steel-barred door that led back to the cell block. A chest-high cabinet with a multitude of small drawers containing case files and the like stood on the other side of the cell-block door. Behind Radric's desk was a rack of swords, behind Julian's, a rack of bows, and his favorite feature of their office, a small but very well-constructed fireplace. Radric was already at work, sitting behind his desk and reviewing some paperwork, when Julian walked in. As always, his friend wore his black hair tied into a short ponytail at the nape of his neck and was dressed well in a dark blue shirt that was open at the collar. Radric looked up as Julian entered and grinned. You're late. Julian rolled his eyes. Everyone's been saying that today. He stomped over to his desk, unhooked his scabbard from his belt, and leaned it against the wall, then sat down and kicked his feet up. Hear about the fuss over at the Orlock last night? Raedric quirked up one eyebrow. "'In gruesome detail,' Julian chuckled. No doubt Lonnie had left no detail out. She was Molly's daughter and worked in the inn as well. She was also Raedric's friend, though Julian wondered how long they were going to keep up that charade rather than just come out and admit what everyone in town knew. They were sweet on each other. Disgustingly so. "'Wonder how long it'll take before she shows up here,' Julian quipped, trying to sound amused rather than resigned about the situation. Radric did not respond to Julian's attempt at frivolity. Leaning back in his chair, he ran one finger absently along the edge of his desk for a few seconds, frowning. Finally, he said, From what I hear, it's not like Balin to not return home as planned. Julian gave him a level look. All sorts of reasons why a man might have to spend the night out in the woods. Or, for that matter... Or not in the woods? Raedrick nodded, still frowning, but did not reply. It took a lot longer for them to get company than Julian thought it would, but it was not Ilsa who came to see them. Shortly after noon, the door to their office opened to admit a tall, lean man who was well along in years, but still walked with the posture and vigor of youth, despite the deep canyons lining his face. His hair was fully gray, with only a few wisps of its original black still showing, and hung loosely past his shoulders. He boasted a full beard of similar color that reached nearly to the collar of the leather jacket he wore in spite of the lingering late summer heat. Like him, the jacket showed signs of great age. Also like him, that age did not seem to do anything except make the jacket better. It hung down to the man's thighs, covering up a patched set of clothes that looked made to blend in with the forest. He bore an unstrung bow in his left hand, and a quiver hung over his shoulder. A long hunting knife and knee-high boots that looked to be ridiculously comfortable completed an ensemble that screamed woodsmen louder than a company of men shouting in unison. The old man squinted at them from just inside the entranceway for a moment, then snorted. You two are the lawmen round here. Julian was not sure whether it was a statement or a question. Radric answered first. We are. I'm Radric Ballatier, and that's Julian Hinderbrook. How could we help you? The old woodsman looked at Radric's extended hand as though uncertain what his intentions with it were, then shrugged and gestured toward the door. Got something you want to take a look at in the hills above town? Julian and Radric exchanged glances. What sort of something, Master... Julian let the sentence die away into a question. The old man grunted. Man got himself torn up. Ain't never seen nothing like it. He grimaced, as though talking about it was bringing up an unpleasant vision. For a moment, it almost looked like the man was going to be sick right there. This was not good at all. 4. Glamourwood It was not until they were almost out of town, following Main Street Northwest towards the forest-covered hills beyond, that the old woodsman finally revealed his name. It took Radrig finally straight out asking, instead of the polite half-question Julian had tried at the office. The old man squinted at Radric as though surprised for a heartbeat or two, then shrugged. Name's Dewey. He left it at that, focusing his attention on the road ahead. Julian exchanged glances with his friend, who shrugged and smiled slightly, clearly amused. Julian was inclined to agree. The old man was eccentric, for sure, but looking at the signs of more decades than most men ever saw on Dewey's face, Julian figured he had earned the right. They passed the last buildings on Main Street, and with them the road's paving stones. Just like that, Lytleton lay behind them, and they were strolling through rolling grasslands that stretched out as far as Julian could see off to the east. To the north and west, though, evergreen trees loomed a mile or so away. Even at the outskirts of the Glamourwood, the trees were tall and proud. Julian knew men went into the woods from time to time to harvest lumber, but they were either very careful about it, or the forest grew back very efficiently. He could see no sign of logging's impact on the woods. Maybe they simply were not close enough to notice. But as they drew nearer, the pristine look of the forest remained, and Julian was forced to conclude that the logging men simply went elsewhere. It was a large forest, after all. The road ended at the edge of the forest in front of a low building. Constructed of carefully placed stones that were held together with mortar, with a thatch roof that looked freshly changed out, it looked as though it had stood in that place since the mountains had first come to be. A small sign hung next to the narrow wooden door that was set in the middle of the building's front wall. It read, Ranger Station. Julian blinked, surprised. There are rangers stationed here? An icy shiver of concern raced down his spine as he waited for Dewey's reply. The rangers were officials from the kingdom. They would certainly have heard of Julian and Radric's status in town, and of their past, and they would certainly have reported it. Perhaps this place was not to be home after all. Glancing to his left, Julian saw a similar concern on his friend's face, though Radric hit it well enough that only someone who knew him as well as Julian did would be likely to notice. Dewey snorted again and shook his head quickly before spitting onto the ground in front of the door. Ain't been a ranger here in thirty years, he said, and we don't need none either. They all left, reassigned someplace down south, but no replacements ever came in. Down still maintains their station, though. He paused, then turned away from the building and gestured for Radric and Julian to follow him into the woods. Good riddance. Come on. The tension went out of Julian's body in a rush, and he found himself drawing in a deep breath. Had he been holding his breath there for a minute? He was not sure. Beside him, Radric's grin returned, this time far more warm and comfortable than Julian would have been able to manage right then. Surely we would have heard of their presence before now. "'Ratrix said in the oh-so-calm voice he used back when he was the squad leader. "'That voice really irked Julian sometimes,' he snorted. "'You got worried, too,' he said, then turned to follow Dewey into the woods. "'The bright afternoon sunlight became muted by the Glamourwood's canopy, "'leaving only the occasional beam of brightness streaming down to the earth below. "'Between the slender trunks of the evergreens, "'the ground lay covered in a loose layer of fallen pine needles,' lending a faintly sweet aroma to the woods and muffling the trio's footsteps as they proceeded inward and upward. The hills that would soon become the mountains that marked Glimmervale's northern boundary began as just simple rolls in the terrain, but soon enough they became more steep. Before long, Julian found himself covered in sweat and breathing heavily at the effort of following Dewey higher. And the old bastard did not seem to notice, or struggle with the climb at all. "'Not much farther now,' Dewey said over his shoulder." his tone level and his breathing slow and measured, as if he were taking a leisurely stroll along the lake. Julian had to force himself not to grind his teeth. That would take more energy than he could afford to use right then. Beside him, Raedric grunted. He looked just as wiped as Julian felt. A small comfort, that. But at Dewey's words, the weariness seemed to drain from his features, replaced by the sharp focus he always got when he was preparing for action. Julian took a deep breath and tried to follow his lead. It would not do for the constable to be anything but professional while on the job, after all. They topped a particularly steep rise and stepped into a small clearing, where a jagged boulder lay half-buried in the turf, surrounded by a small cluster of bushes. As he rounded the boulder, a new odor assaulted Julian's nostrils. Metallic, sickly sweet, rancid. A mixture of the smells from a latrine and a battlefield, and beneath, something else. Something unwholesome, sickly. He stopped, coughing as the odor seemed to hit him like a physical blow. Gah, Raydric said, giving voice to Julian's thoughts. Dewey nodded gravely. Don't often encounter a smell like that, less than something big's died and rotted. I figured it was a predator's kill, but... He gestured for them to continue onward, and pushed his way past the bushes on the other side of the boulder. Julian followed and quickly wished he had not. Julian was no stranger to death. He had seen it and dealt it out on a dozen or more battlefields, had knelt with the dying as they gasped out their final breaths, patched up the wounded in the mud. Horror had almost become commonplace during his time in the army, so he thought he was prepared to handle whatever Dewey had to show them. But this... Blood was everywhere, coating the ground, the bushes the trunks of the closest trees, even though they were nearly twenty feet away. The body, if it could be called that, lay in bits and pieces, strewn around as though it had been somehow ground up and then spread like manure on a farmer's field. At first glance, only the presence of torn clothing, one impossibly intact boot, and broken but recognizable hunting equipment would have even told Julian this had once been a man. Gods be merciful, he breathed. Dewey shook his head. They sure weren't to this fellow. Was it a bear? Radrick's voice was hushed, almost reverent. The old man shook his head again. A bear don't attack a man, not less than he's mad or injured. And if he did, he wouldn't leave it like this. Mountain lion? Dewey just snorted and shot Radrick a look like he was daft. Lions don't leave meat untouched. He gestured over to the other side, past the blood splatter, where a deer carcass lay, intact and untouched, except for where the hunter had evidently dressed it out before he had been killed. Julian frowned. That made no sense. Scavengers should have made off with that carcass, or at least bitten off parts of it by now. And Dewey was right. Why would whatever killed the hunter have left the deer untouched? What, then? he asked. Dewey shrugged. Told you, ain't never seen nothing like this. He looked down at the bloodied remains and pursed his lips. Poor bastard. Where's his head? Radric asked. Julian stiffened and looked around the clearing quickly. Radric was right. Pieces of the body were everywhere, but none of the pieces could have been the man's head. Where was it? Dewey scowled and pointed over Radric's head. Julian turned and looked where Dewey pointed. In a little nook near the top of the boulder higher than he could have reached if he were standing on his tiptoes, lay the man's head. He was not young, but not old, either, probably approaching forty. His hair was long and wavy, dark brown and pulled back from his face by a leather headband. His mouth was locked into a soundless scream, his face frozen in a rictus of pain and utmost horror, his dark eyes wide and locked forward. The dead man's expression made Julian's blood turn to ice water. And all the more because he recognized him from an occasional night at the Orlock. Balin, Julian breathed. Dewey grunted agreement.
0: Okay, that's uh not a good not a good thing to have happened out there in the woods. Gee. Of course we saw it happen in chapter one, but uh uh yeah. Uh, kind of a grim start to the tale. I like it course I like it. I wrote it. <laughs> um but like I said in the last week episode I, I do like this book a lot. I uh intentionally took it in a darker kind of murder mystery way and a little more magic in it, which is you know fun. And uh hopefully you guys will too. Uh like I said at the beginning of the uh, this week's episode here. Uh, I did put out that new short story collection. Uh it's called Wait for It Stories from Glimmer Vale. Volume one. And in it there are five stories. The You have Legacy and Hidden Magic, which take place before Glimmer Vale, the first book. Then you've got excuse me. Uh, Captive Hearts, which takes place chronologically between books two and three, but you don't really hear about it with the the stuff that happened in it until book four, uh, and then only tangentially. Um, And and then you've got uh, Wedding Gifts, which I mentioned before, which takes place between books four and five. And then you've got um, which McCulloch, uh, it uh, lost credit, which, uh, takes place at the same time as book five. Um, if you haven't gotten that far in the series yet, uh, it, it's, you don't, I don't want to spoil it, but there's, uh, there's a bit of a separation of storylines in book, in book five. And so, uh, this sort of takes place uh, book five deals with one, at one of the branches of the storyline. And this took place with what's going on with the other branch briefly. Uh, and book six that I'm writing now uh, goes into more, d- more detail about what's going on with the other branch before I bring them back together again, probably in book seven or so. And uh, yeah, so that'll be fun. Uh, like I said, uh, go to SSN com, and you can find the book, the, collection and all five short stories separately if you want them separately uh there you can also find them on amazon um I'm putting them up on all the other uh ebook stores out there too because that's what I always do uh but a little slower getting the other ones uh set up though. Uh so please do check that out. Yeah help brother out with some, uh, some sales and some moolah. It's always good. Uh, and of course, if you like, uh, Outdweller so far, but by all means go and, uh, pick it up from the same site as well. If you haven't done glue fail yet, by all means go and do the first book as well. Um, but if you uh, must, uh, just wait for the, the, uh, the podcast to find out what happened, that's cool too. Next week, same bat time, same bat channel, approximately. Uh, we'll put out the next two chapters. Uh, if you want to, you can still go to the website and uh, throw me uh, a little PayPal tip or uh, become a member of the site. I need to change how I'm doing that. I set up a uh, site man- site membership thing that only had a couple people on it, but I found that the way I set it up made extra work for me that became very annoying. Um, so I kind of told the two people who had become, uh, uh, members to, to knock it off while I figured out a new way to do it because uh, it was, it was annoying for me to do the extra work and I felt like I was letting, not keeping up my side as well as I should have. Um, so I'm coming up with a new concept for that membership thing. Uh, and that would be <laughs> less work. Uh, less extra work, uh, cause I have enough stuff going on. I'm probably just gonna being, Hey man, if you like it, here's a monthly membership thing and you get a discount. to this a story to storytelling store or you get, um, access to stuff earlier or, or something. Um, right now I had these tiered membership things, which, uh, maybe was annoying because yeah, you keep track of who's, what, where, and who gets what, when, and, uh, Simplicity like <laughs> I've been telling, um, uh, you know, I talked to my mom about, uh, various, you know, financial things as she's had some, um, stuff she's been going through in the last, uh, year or so. She's like, what do you think I should do? I was like, simplify, simplify, get out of debt, simplify. And, uh, so that's my one thing I'm trying to do here too, is keep the processes simple. A, so it's, I can't screw it up, but also, um, so I'm not adding extra burdens to myself. Anyway, more than you wanted to hear about that. Uh, anyway, like I said, uh, yeah, so go give me a tip if you want to, or just come back next week. Either way, let everybody know what we're doing around here. Uh, spread the word, share, like, subscribe, all the various magic in the various sites, whether it's through the video sites or the podcast feed or whatever whatever you want to do to make sure that you get back here next week, do so. And we will come and we will have more fun with greater adventures of Radric and Julian. Okay, that's all I got. Um, Yeah, I'll talk to you next time. Until then, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Thanks for listening to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. You can find me online at michaelkingswood.com. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. My web store is ssnstorytelling.com, where you can find all my books in your favorite formats. Purchasing through the web store nets me the most profit, but if you prefer, I'm also on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, and all the other usual retailers. If you want to learn about new releases, sign up for my mail list through the contact form at my website. I guarantee not to spam you, only send an email when I have some news to share. Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyright of Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music copyright Gene Paul Zogby, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved.